For the month of September, we're keeping things simple, or at least we're trying to. We're trying to keep things simple in the midst of all of our complex lives. And the whole series this month is focused on the materially simple life that Jesus led and taught and exemplified. And as I've said before, each week we're going home with a challenge. We're going home with some homework. The first week, uh, you were challenged to take time every day to be grateful for your time. Last week, you were challenged to go home and get rid of some of your stuff. And this week, it's going to all be about money. Because the Bible spends a lot of time addressing a number of subjects, but time, possessions, money, prayer, and food are the five things Jesus talked about the most. And when Jesus talked about them, he brought an air of simplicity that's almost lost in the church today. Jesus taught and he said, Beware, beware of the scribes who like to wear long robes, who take those seats in the synagogues of privilege and power. Beware, they like to fill their prayers with big and long words. Watch out for them. So would you please pray with me? Let thy will be done. Amen. All right. Short prayer. Short prayer. <laughs> Got to be careful. No room, no long prayers. Uh, there was a church. There was a church in the midst of a stewardship drive trying to raise funds for the church. And the finance committee just kept arguing. Friends, that has never happened in Coke's Mary at this church. But this other church, this other church, they were having problems with finances, and they were, they were meeting in the hallways and in the narthex after church, and they were fighting, and they were arguing about the money. Who are we going to hit up this year for more money? How are we going to raise the funds for the new brass candlestick holders we all want? Are we going to let the pastor know who gives money and how much money they give? They fought and they argued and they fought and they argued. And finally the finance chair said, we need to have a formal meeting about our finances. The whole church came. They argued for three hours about the budget. Three hours about dollars and cents that came into the offering plate. Three hours. And it got no better than when it started. So even though the chair ended the meeting, it continued out in the parking lot where all meetings really happened. And as they spilled out in the parking lot and they were raising their voices at each other and they were getting frustrated and brows were being furrowed, none of them noticed that a homeless man had been sitting by the doors. He was sitting on the ground with a styrofoam cup in his hand. He had been there all afternoon, hoping for any donation he could receive. And the longer he sat there, the more he was able to hear inside the arguments and the bickering and the fighting that had happened. And the longer he sat there, he could see the arguments and the fighting and the bickering that was happening out in the parking lot. So the homeless man stood up from his spot. He walked across the parking lot and he found one of the oldest women from the church who was standing with her finger on someone's face and her hand on her head. And he put out his hand. And she, sort of unaware of what she was doing, put out her hand in turn, and he took his styrofoam cup, and he poured it out. The dollars and the nickels fell into her hand. And he said, ma'am, seems like you need this more than I do. And he walked away. Money! Everyone's favorite subject to talk about in church. It's just like talking about divorce, sexuality, money. We love it. I can tell. 
And many of you are sitting on the edge of your pews, eager to hear what I have to say, like kids on Christmas morning. Money, the American dream. So many of us came of age in a world and a culture that told us this dream was possible. This dream of achieving material possessions with deeper bank accounts. A dream where we can pursue more than we have, we can gain more than we have, and we can save more than we have. And most importantly, most of us tend to measure our success in the American dream by the number at the bottom of our bank account. But, this is a very big but, for a lot of us, the American dream feels more like the American nightmare. Because for as much as we might hope for a day in the future where all of our finances have been figured out and taken care of, there's plenty in the present for us to worry about. There was a study a few years ago that noted at least 80% of Americans are stressed about the economy and personal finances. More than 50% are worried about being able to provide for their family's basic needs. 56% of Americans are worried about job security. And 52% of Americans report lying awake at night thinking about money. Those statistics are shocking, but they might not sound all that surprising to us because who among us hasn't worried about money at some point? Let me put it in these terms. In 1990, in 1990, anyone want to guess how much the average American had in credit card debt in 1990? $3,000. In 1990, the average American had $3,000 in credit card debt. Do you know what it is today? $9,000. The average American has $9,000 in credit card debt. That does not include mortgages. It does not include student loans. It does not include medical debt. $9,000 in credit card debt. If you pay the monthly minimum on a $9,000 credit card, it will take you 200 years to pay it back. And that's the average American. That means most of you have $9,000 in credit card debt. That means I have $9,000 in credit card debt. The American dream it feels like the American nightmare when it comes to our finances and our money. So, so many of us, myself included, we are unwilling to delay gratification and we use tomorrow's money to finance today's lifestyle. Few, if any of us, appropriately save for the future because we just keep thinking tomorrow won't come. But then it does. Again and again and again. So Jesus was in the temple. And he was teaching and he was warning people about people like me. He said, watch out. Watch out for those scribes and priests. You know, the ones who like to walk around in long robes. The ones who get all the respect in public. They're the type of people who pray on the widows. They pray on the poor. All for the sake of appearances. And they fill their prayers with big and long words. Watch out for them. And then Jesus immediately gathered his disciples around the treasury and they watched as rich people came forward and made their donation just so everyone could see how much they had to give. And then this poor widow shuffled over. She put two small coins in the treasury, two coins that scripture tells us equal to penny. And Jesus pulled the disciples close and he said, that poor widow, she put in more than all of the rest who were contributing to the treasury. The rest of them gave out of their abundance, but she, 
out of her poverty, put in everything she had. In life, few of us have any use for hypocrites. You know, those people who are pretentious and they show off their status only to draw more attention to themselves at the expense of the less fortunate. Like politicians who make great sums of money while complaining that it's not enough to live on. Like pastors who urge their congregations to give generously when they themselves put nothing in. Today, we're obviously talking about money, in particular the money that the church has. But this text, what Leo read for us, it's very difficult to read that and make a case for why people like you and me should give money to the church. Because we can take the story at face value. This woman, she sacrificed. She is the example upon which Jesus makes a theological claim. But let us not forget that her gift, though small, is considered greater than the wealthy, not because of what she has, but because she gives generously. And that's why we have to sit with something rather uncomfortable before we jump to the simplicity of money, which of course is no simple thing. It is good and right for us to rest in the tension of this story because this is more than just pastors encouraging churches to be extravagantly generous. It's an indictment, plain and simple. It's an indictment against any institution, including our own, that results in a poor widow having to give all that she has so that leaders can live lives of privilege. All of us might leave church today feeling guilty about the money we give or we don't give to church. We might leave feeling apathetic about what our gifts can do for the church or our community. But perhaps the most appropriate feeling we can feel is outrage. Outrage. Outrage toward any system, any church, any institution that appropriates the property of the poor and the near destitute in order to perpetuate the lifestyle of the elite. We should be outraged that a church used money to install sprinklers to keep homeless people off their property. We should be outraged with the many ways in which church takes money and uses, them, uses it for the people who need it the least. Because ask any pastor, and they will tell you that the best givers in church are almost always the poorest. It's those unlimited and fixed incomes that are almost always the ones to tithe. But the wealthy, the elite, the ones with gifts to share, they have a much harder time with it. And maybe you'll be surprised to hear this, maybe, maybe not. There are 950 billionaires in the world. 950 billionaires in the world. And almost none of them give more than single digits of their income away. Think about that. 950 billionaires in the world, and almost none of them give more than single digits away of their income. By the time Jesus encountered this scene by the treasury, by the time he saw that widow walk forward to give her whole life away, the whole religious apparatus was perverted. The operators were living privileged lives, and the poor, the widowed, the orphaned, the marginalized, they were no longer taken care of. And sadly... Some things haven't changed. I was out of the office for two days this week because of clergy meetings and hospital visits. I missed Tuesday and Wednesday. And on Thursday, I came into the office and I checked the church voicemail. In two days, we had acquired 20 voicemails. And every one of them was from someone in our neighborhood who needed financial assistance. 
20 voicemails in two days of people with an overdue rent payment, a late electric bill, no food to eat. 20 voicemails in two days. And I wish, I pray, and I wish that we could give money to every single person who called. I wish that my days weren't filled with reading theology and praying for people and writing sermons. I wish that every day I could take time to make sure people could stay in their homes. That those with homes could keep their lights on. That those with refrigerators had food to stock. But we can only use what we have been given. So from this story alone, the story of Jesus and the widow, from the reflection on churches and institutions, temptations to pray on the weak, it is very difficult, very difficult, even though I've taken the robe off, to make a claim of why people like you and me should give money to the church. Because sometimes the church is not worthy of the gifts it receives. The church is only worthy, only worthy when we use the gifts as Jesus commands us to. As I noted in the last two weeks and at the beginning of the service, every week we're, we're leaving and we're going home with a challenge. We're going home uh, with some homework. And today, uh, our challenge is to start budgeting our money. Now, stay with me, okay? Stay awake for the next five minutes. Uh, in financial sort of business thinking, there's a, a model that's very, very helpful. It's called the 80-10-10 model. And the 80-10-10 model, you spend 80% of the money you receive. You spend all the things you need, like food and gas and uh, your utilities. You spend 80%. You save 10% for the future, for unforeseen circumstances, and you give 10% away. It's called the 80-10-10 model. So if you make $100, you, you spend 80 of it, you save 10 of it, and you give away 10 of it. And so what we want to think about, what we want to challenge you to do, is to sit down, look at your finances, and just imagine what it would look like to live by the 80-10-10 model. The challenge isn't to go home and institute it tomorrow. The challenge is to think about it. To look at your income and say, how hard would it be to move from where I am to the 80-10-10 model? But of course, I do want to have a little aside here and mention that tithing, giving away 10% of your income, is very, very difficult. I don't want anyone to leave today thinking that I just said, everyone needs to start tithing. It's the easiest thing in the world because, friends, it is really not. I really struggle with tithing. My family and I really struggle with tithing. We have regular conversations about it. And sadly, my wife is the one that is more often inclined to say, no, we do need to tie it to the church. It's hard. We've tried different ways. We've tried to have it automatically withdrawn from our bank account. We've tried to give it uh, every week. And for us, it just works better to give monthly. But it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to look at money that doesn't really belong to us in the first place and say, oh, it's better if the church has this instead of us. And so instead of going home and thinking we all have to give 10%, imagine what it would look like to give a percentage of your income. Maybe not 10%, because for some of us that's not possible. But instead of just giving a regular offering, a, 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 just an occasional gift, what would it look like if you gave 2%? What would it look like if you gave 5%? Is that doable? Or if you give away 10%, are you going to become like the widow in the story? So you can leave it right there. Just a simple thought experiment about whether or not the 80-10-10 model can work for you. But you can also take it a step further. I know some of you want extra credit. 
If you want to take it a step further, even though that first one's pretty hard, look at your debt. Look at your debt and start making a plan to pay it off. Because if you're like the average American and you have $9,000 in credit card debt, you have no business tithing to a church. Because if you give 10% to the church, you're never going to pay off the debt and you will become like the widow in the story. So look at your debt. What do you owe? How much? What kind of plan? What kind of things can you omit from your spending in order to pay that debt off? And then live according to the plan. If you want serious extra credit, like check, 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 star, 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 you can fill out a commitment card. I'm very wary of commitment cards. I remember being a kid and seeing them in the bulletin at church and thinking, who in the world would fill out a commitment card? Who would tell the church how much money they're going to give? The more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it. It's helpful for me. It's helpful for me to think about a year ahead and think, I'm going to covenant, I'm going to commit to give this amount. To write it down, to prayerfully consider how much I can give away that is my own, that is not really my own, to help the church. And so after worship, we're going to have uh, the challenges for you printed, but we're also going to have commitment cards. And if you want that triple extra credit, pray about it. Think about what it would look like to make a commitment to give a certain amount weekly or monthly or one big gift. You give, if, you're, if you make $50,000 a year and you want to tithe, that's $5,000. Do you want to give $5,000 at Christmas? Do you want to break it up into 52 weeks? Do you want to break it up into 12 months? Just think about what that would look like. Bring it next week, fold it up, and put it in the offering plate. The whole sort of impetus behind this is for us to know what we can do to help those in our community. Whether it's the 80-10-10 model or getting rid of our debt or filling out a commitment card, it is something to prayerfully consider so that we as the church can do everything in our power to make sure that no widow, no marginalized person, no orphan in our community will ever be forced to do what the widow in the story did. And a lot of us, Myself included, we have a really warped understanding of what faithful giving looks like. We imagine in our heads that if we give, God will give more back to us. But that's not how it works. This is not Joel Osteen's church. This is God's church. We do not believe that God is going to fill our bank accounts if we give God money. No, we believe that in giving, we are not the ones blessed, but that other people are blessed. It's just like the woman... The widow, she didn't go to the treasury putting money in hoping that she'd get a return on her investment. She gave because she knew that God could take it and use it. We give simply because God has given to us. That's it. And I'll be the first to tell you that the church is not perfect. It is not perfect. After all, they let me be the pastor of it. But we believe, particularly here at Cokesbury, we believe in having transparency in our finances. We believe in taking everything we can to serve those who are in need. We believe, we believe in the power that our blessings can be for God to bless other people. We believe that by returning the gifts to God that always belong to God, that we can be part of the kingdom on earth. That we can make something change. So I offer this difficult and challenging word to you and me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.